Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Rabbi Schatz is simultaneously here and not here. Um, she looks very studious in her in her picture, but she's also simultaneously running a conference. So much to everyone's chagrin, uh, you will probably be hearing slightly more from me than usual. Um, but we all have to deal with disappointment in this world. Um, the Parsha this week is Tetzaveh. Um, we are going to be continuing our little jaunt uh, through the setup for um, the holy space in which uh, that the Israelites were constructing in the desert and the ways in which those rituals would unfold. Um, and it wasn't just the space, it was also the preparations that the uh, various um, personnel would don as they went about their business. So we're going to, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about clothing, uh, priestly clothing. The theme of today is, is priestly clothing. Everyone woke up this morning and wanted to learn more about priestly clothing. Okay. Here we are. Um, we are in chapter 28. Um, so this is God speaking to Moses saying, bring forth your brother, uh, with his sons. Um, listing everybody out. Um, and you're going to make for Aaron, right? Aaron, who's, who's going to become the high priest, um, certain, certain clothes, right? Sacral vestments. Very, very fancy way of saying, uh, holy clothes, right? He's going to have a certain outfit that he's going to wear, um, as he is going to be going about his priestly duties. Lechavod ultifarit for dignity, for honor. Um, and for Tiferet, for adornment, for, for beauty. And who is going to make these things? Um, ev- artisans who are chokhme lev. Um, Rabbi Schatz actually references this phrase. I think he referenced it last week. It comes up um, often in talking about the construction of the tabernacle and its attendant um, stuff. Again, a technical term. Uh, like not not just a master craftsman, right? It's translated here as skillful, but Kochmelev, who have who have the wisdom of the heart, right? There is there is some right, and they also have Ruach Kochman, the spirit of wisdom, right? It's not just enough. This seems to be suggesting that you are someone who is a good tailor, but you should be a tailor who has a certain Je ne sais quoi, as they say in biblical Hebrew, um, to make sure that you are, you are the right, the right guy or gal for the job. So here are the things that they make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a fringe tunic, a headdress, and a sash. Um, that's the stuff that they're going to make. Um, the rest of this chapter goes into some detail about the specifics of how you make those clothes. Um, I am not an ancient Near Eastern tailor, which hopefully surprises no one on this call. So I don't have too, too much to say about all of that. Um, you're going to make it out of beautiful yarn. You're going to make it out of linen. Um, and there's sort of a, um, it's, it's a pretty detailed, um, you know, list in terms of describing what it should look like. And, you start to hear here about this ephod, this breastplate that the high priest is supposed to wear. Um, and we are going to be diving into that uh, in a bit more depth um, towards the end of the chapter. Um, but just sort of, you know, scanning, uh, scanning through this a bit. And here it right here it is, actually, forgive me, uh, starting in verse 19, you shall make a a choshen mishpat, a breast piece of decision, um, which is uh, the debut album from Be Wise of Heart, uh, worked into a design um, that there's going to be this, uh, and here you see it described in verse 17, that there's going to be four uh, rows of stone, three stones in each row, 
which for the math whizzes in the room, know that makes 12, uh, which, right, the 12 tribes of Israel are what's going to be represented there, as we see. Um, and each one, right, so there's a, a special stone and some, some, some fancy stuff, right? Emeralds, sapphires, uh, crystals, right? Lapis lazuli, always fun to say. Um, and each one of those stones is going to have uh, a name of one of the tribes um, upon it. Um, we get a few more details about like how that's going to be placed on the high priest, sort of hooked on to um, the breastplate, just making sure it is properly stationed. Um, right, the breastpiece shall be held in place by a cord of blue from its rings to the rings of the ephod, and so on and so forth. And now we're getting to um, the towards the end of the chapter, and here are the verses we are going to be focusing in on. So we're in Shmot, Exodus chapter 28, verses 29 and 30. Benasa Aharon et Shmot b'nei Yisrael, and Aaron shall carry. Right, he's carrying the names of the people of Israel, the Choshen Hamishat, Al Libo. He's carrying the names of uh, of the tribes on this Choshen Mishpat. It's like it's tough to train. I guess breast piece of decision of better judgment, probably right. Mishpat, not just decision; it's also judgment. Al Libo Bevo O El Hakodesh. He should place it upon his heart when he enters in to the holy into the sanctuary for remembrance to for mem for, for memory's sake uh before god always uh verse 30 now we get into some really funky wacky stuff uh which always makes me very excited um upon or in this breastplate you place the Urim and the Tumim. What are the Urim and Tumim? Uh, my favorite phrase in the JPS translation, meaning of Hebrew uncertain. What are the Urim and Tumim? Well, they're the Urim and Tumim, just like tefillin are phylacteries. What are phylacteries? Tefillin, right? So they're somehow indicating that there, there is something happening here. And we, we hear it later on that there is something about this construct, this item that offers basically a way of answering questions that Bnei Yisrael were at, well, uh, the high priest would ask for Bnei Yisrael um, as a part of his duties. Again, it's on Aaron's heart in, uh, as he would approach before God. And Aaron would carry forth the uh, and here it's, it's translated as Aaron should carry the instrument of decision. It's not really what it says, right? It says Aaron would carry the judgment, the decision of Bnei Israel, right? It doesn't say Choshen Mishpat. It says Et Mishpat Bnei Israel, I'll be bow upon his heart um, before God always. So I'll, I'll, I'll point out one linguistic thing and then sort of one one content, well, probably two content framing, framing things, and then we'll, we'll open up to your thoughts. One is to just point out some, some real frequency of words. There's some, some really strong repetition of words, particularly al-libo or al-lev, right? We see it three times in these two verses, um, and each one of them closes with lifne adonai tamid. So there's some there's some very strong repetition happening in these two short verses. And again, as we often say in here, um, there's nothing repeated uh, or extraneous in the Torah for no reason whatsoever. Everything's in there for a reason. So that sort of begs the question, um, why repeat, right? What's, what's the role of the repetition of those words, the repetition of those phrases? Um, and two pieces in terms of framing beyond the sort of, fun combination. It's like the, the Riemann to me are a combination of like a, a, a Ouija board and a Simon. Remember the Simon thing where it had like the light up lights and you had to follow the pattern. You guys remember that? Right. It's sort of like uh, if, if there was a, a Simon that turned into a Ouija board uh, basically is the least rabbinic explanation possible for it. But I think it communicates what I'm talking about. Um, I, I, I try to, Think about things in a way, uh, children's games. 
Um, but it's not just about that, that sort of, sort of interesting quasi fortune telling system. I think there's two pieces that catch my eye about this. One is, um, what does it mean as a leader to be exercising, right, and to be carrying forth judgment, right? So the, these ideas of judgment and memory are specifically named here, right? And that there's something that he's doing as a leader in terms of thinking about how to exercise judgment and how to remember. Um, and there's another piece of this that I think is interesting in thinking about the role of the individual and the role of the collective, right? Aaron is the one leader in this case. It's just him who's going in. And symbolically, at least, he's carrying the entire people with him, all 12 tribes, literally on him as he goes in to do his holiest duties. So I think there's something really interesting there to play with in terms of thinking about um, the individual I have more to say, which surprises no one, but uh, I will pause here, not for station identification, but for questions that you might have about these two verses, uh, 29 and 30. Taibel, how you doing? Shabbat shalom. Uh, thank you for asking how I'm doing. I managed to get up in time for class. That's how I'm doing. Yay. Um, it's not a question about the text. It's just a life observation comment. I hope that's okay. I'll take whatever you got. So it's fascinating to me in terms of people's identity as both Jews and Americans that in my lifetime, what has now become such a popular piece of jewelry is the representation of the um, Kohanim's breastplate. Mm. Because even when I was a young adult, that was not something one ever saw. But now one sees it, and I just find it fascinating for what are mostly rabbinic Jews to have so embraced, because that is jewelry is now ubiquitous. Uh-huh. You're saying that, that you see that as sort of like a, a design or, or a, like a, a symbol that you're saying, like earring, like on necklaces or something you're saying? Um, everywhere. I mean, in secular... I mean, in secular settings, too, like, I'm not sure I have a good example, like, tallest clips you only wear when you wear a tallest. Mm -hmm. But the way people, when I was growing up, wore stars of David or sometimes little symbols of peace, you know, it was maybe a bas mitzvah present or a hamsa. Now I see this breastplate, and maybe part of it is just because it's, it's aesthetically pleasing with the colors and the shape, but I still just find it fascinating. And I, not that I understand why, but at least in my end of the country, it's incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder, I wonder what's, we, we could probably do that. That would be an interesting uh, scholarly article, the, the reemergence of the, of the priestly blessed plate as a motif in contemporary Judaica. Uh, I don't think I'm going to write that article, but it would be an interesting one. So Taibo, maybe we'll, we'll assign that to you. That can be your homework. I'll take that as a yes. Okay. Uh, Denise. So what stands out to me in these two psukim and then some of the ones you looked at right before and then in general oh. is the centrality of love mm. and the heart and the like when it talked about Chachmat Lev, I thought that's like emotional intelligence. It's like, like there has to be kind of a fusing of the mind and the heart. And um, it makes me think about like um, when they do, when the Kaanim do the blessing in Shul, it says um, before they do the chanty part, it says, Baruch Hashem, blah, blah, blah. Um, like it has to come from love specifically. Um, and then like also in the rules of Shabbat and stuff like that, or like when you add in the Shabbat extra few words here and there in the davening, it's always that, you know, you gave us these rules and blah, 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 
because it could, so it's a lot of these rules are a big pain and it could easily feel like a power trip or random or whatever. But so there's this constant like reorientation. It's always about love. Everything starts from love. Everything comes from love. And I, so I feel like this is part of that kind of framework. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't have uh, Elon in the house today to, to sort of offer back the God as a, as a mafia Don, uh, uh, metaphor um, even the mafia can be loving even the during, ma- during covid in sicily the mafia was give, had a food line a soup kitchen there, there, somebody there. they did an interview and they said you know you're blowing your cover and they said well it's still the right thing to do we have to be here oh, for- that's very interesting i didn't yeah. see that that is very interesting um what, what I, I was going to say sort of two linguistic things in response to that though one was you know, we are, there's a question that can be asked here, right? When we're talking about it's, you know, it's, it's softened a little bit as decision, but mishpat is, is judgment, right? And, and it's, and that's also right in both of these verses. So you could ask a question, um, you know, what is, what is the nature of that? And some of the commentators get into that. Like when, when it says it's about mishpat, what is the nature of that mishpat that is, um, unfolding right what is what is the nature of that mishpat that the high priest is going into and i think denise you're you're rightly pointing out that maybe that's that's in some ways balanced by the fact talking about how it's on his heart um and a a number of pieces that i saw talked about that that relational component in some interesting ways um i will just also briefly reflect back um in in biblical hebrew because uh, you talked about fusing mind and heart, and I'll offer that my understanding is that in biblical Hebrew, when we talk about the heart, the heart was seen as the seat of both emotion and intellect, right? So that it's actually not um, an integration that needs to happen additionally, that, that somehow in biblical Hebrew, that's automatically assumed as a given, right? So so Kalvachomer, right? How much the more so for everything that you're saying, um, because if this is being placed on his heart, uh, you know, that, that, that's exactly what it's speaking to, that that's the place not where, where both thoughts and emotions are, are integrating um, uh, sort of by nature, because that's where that happens. Mike from, from Brooklyn by way of Los Angeles from Texas. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking the, 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 the detail of all of the, the, uh, the that's described, uh, the breastplate and then entering this, uh, it's over the heart when he enters the sanctuary, the remembrance before Adonai at all times of, of the Israelites, uh, the instrument for decision. It sort of, to me, reflects like a, a a degree of um, uh, sort of dignity, a degree of sacredness, uh, of sanctity, uh, in in that that's, that's that sort of stands above with these vestments and everything that stands yeah. above the ordinary individual, and and um, uh, that will forever be that way, you know, uh, uh, at all times, you know, uh, and so to me that, that really means something that, that it sort of overrides the, the sort of individual nature of each of us or each of our ancestors, uh, with some sort of, some of, of, uh, more formal, um, Formality, I guess, or, dig- or sacredness, dignity that, that sort of connects us with, uh, with God, with Hashem through yeah. the, through the priests. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and are, are you intentional when you talk about lasting? Are you intentionally picking up on the end of those two verses? Yeah. I think so. I yeah, mean, because, right. because it's at all times, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. And it, so I just wanted to, to make sure to, to close that loop. Ex- exactly. It's an in, and it, in general, it's an interesting question sometimes when we see um, verses like this, because it says Tamid, 
we, we, I hope this isn't a surprise to anyone. We don't currently consult the Urim Batum, right? That, that is not part of the decision-making process uh, in the Knesset in Israel, nor amongst uh, rabbis in the United States, right? It's not something that we still do. Uh, so when it says tamid, what, what can we learn from that, right? What If we're being told that this is something that is eternal, um, what is the eternal piece that we might extract from this? Because it's it's indicating something, to, right? You could read it read it a bit more um, straight and just sort of say like, well, when this was written, they thought this is always what they would do. Uh, that's what it means, Shapiro. You're you're reading too much into it. To which I would say, I'm a rabbi. That's my job. Um, but I, I think you could also see it as um, there is there is something eternal being offered here, and and how could we, you know to plumb the verses to figure out what that might be. I have some ideas, but Tybal has an idea first. Um, the notion that one should consult before making a decision or taking an action, regardless of what, of what one consults. But then, so that's one part. And then subsumed in that would be the idea that Judaism offers, offers things to be consulted, that it's a source of wisdom. Right, that, that there's a, oh, I'm going to hop out of the verses. Uh, oh, Rabbi Schatz is here. Hi, Rabbi Schatz. I've been here for a while. I was oh. here for you. I was here for you to mispronounce lapis lazuli. So I've been here for a while. Isn't it lapis lazuli? No, but you're a great guy and I've enjoyed the whole why, conversation so far. Why, why, says who? Says people who say the word lazuli. And it's spelled wrong. No. Okay, you should continue. I'm sorry that I took you off course. I don't think you're right. Um, That's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that that there's something to the the general construct of making sure to consult something, right? That that it's not just that we make decisions on our own, nor is it that we don't even know how to do it. That our tradition gives us. Like the technology to ask for help, uh, and you know the the reminder that it's something that that we should do. Um, I'm gonna sort of carry that forward because that actually Tybal relates to a couple of pieces that I found. Um, <clears throat> I actually saw this was just in an email I read this morning from uh, a wrote an organization that's based in Chicago that does some some really great learning. Um, and in their weekly Parsha email, they quoted Rabbi Leah Lewis, contemporary rabbi, and she um, talks about it. At, she talks about this whole, excuse me, construct as being about humility, which I think is really interesting. Um, and what she says is every stone had its place. Only when every stone was in its place would the priest be able to put on the breastplate and thus be ready to fulfill his service. Uh, the instructions ensured that there was a place for every tribe and no one space dominated any other. By divine dis- design, all of Israel was given their rightful place. Um, so I think that that's a, a really interesting, I'll say it like this. It wasn't the shot for me, right? It wasn't the necessarily the simple reading for me that I read these two verses and I thought, oh, of course, uh, that's about humility, right? Um, but in reflecting on kind of the, the symbolic pieces of that, um, that, that does make um, not, not just an intuitive sense in terms of thinking about the design of it, but also in thinking about where this is stationed in the life of the people, right? They're out of Egypt. Um, they've just, right. They've left slavery they're adrift in the desert. Uh, spoiler alert for next week's Parsha. We got some gnarly events around the corner, right? They're, they're adrift and they're wondering, okay, well, what does it mean to be a people? And they're coming from a really hierarchical structure. And so now embedded in the technology of thinking about holy divine service, they're being symbolically shown everybody has their place, right? There, there is not... Um, just one of you who should be elevated above or below the, the others, but that there is, there's, uh, 
an equality here. Now, you might say to me, as one of you might, right, as one of you might be queuing up, but Rabbi Matthew Shapiro, I don't know, I don't know why you use my full name, but anything could happen. But Rabbi Matthew Shapiro, um, it's inherently not democratic because there's just one guy, right? Aren't we told that we are a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Why would it be, pray tell, that it would just be one dude going in to do the thing uh, if you're telling us that it's about humility and everyone is, is in the right place? Um, and in addition to being afraid that you might be channeling Korach, chas v'shalom, um, there was another... Um, piece that I saw from the Kedushat Levi, from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, who, who talks about this tension, who talks about this tension between the individual and the communal. Um, and I thought it, it, it makes a really nice um, kind of bookend to that other teaching. He says, we must assume that the selection of one out of many refers to the selection of an individual, seeing that he was especially beloved, right? If you're going to pick somebody to do a job, yeah, you think highly of that person, right? If you're picking somebody to do something you really care about, that inherently suggests that you think that person can do the job. You're not going to pick someone who you don't think could do the job. That's not, not how we work. And this implies normally by comparison that the community at large, I mean, the, the translation here was relatively despised, which is a little aggressive, right? But that if we're picking Aaron out of everybody, you might think, well, that says a lot of good stuff about Aaron, but comparatively, what does that say about everybody else? Not as good, right? And then Kedushat Levy says something really nice on this. In order to counter such an assumption, the Torah commanded that the names of all the tribes be ascribed on the breastpiece to show clearly that God loved all of them, right? So I think this this sort of deepens and levels out um, some pieces of that first teaching, because it's is recognizing, yeah, there's still just one person who's being tasked with this, right? There's still just one person um, who's being sent in to do this job. That's true. There is some inherent hierarchical piece there. It's just just how it is. And there is a symbolic counterweight to that by showing that, you know, this, this is still inclusive, even as there's just one person going into this ritual. Um, there was, there was a, a relatively big content dump. So I'll, I'll just sort of pause for a second to see if folks have thoughts on that. Yes, Rebecca. So the only thing that keeps standing out to me is that they each got a different stone. And I feel like that is the opposite of everybody being equal. You know, I think the image that I've had since I was a kid of this mm. is that what if I were in the tribe that had the stone that wasn't as not as pretty as the other stone? And so, and that stayed with me. So I think um, that really stands out to me as not everybody being there the same. There's mm-hmm. some that are on top, there's some that have brighter stones. And I don't know how the decision was made. And so that also kind of bothers me. So I don't know if this really is any help that I just yeah. I think I, I, I would draw a distinction, I think, between saying that everyone is the same and that there's a place for everyone and that there's love for everyone, right? The, I, I think there's a distinction there. Um, I love all of my kids. I love them in a way that I could never compare to the other and I love each one of them a little bit differently because they're different kids, right? Um, that when we're in a relationship with people, when we know people, um, there can be affection, there can be care. Um, and it's going to look a little bit differently for everyone, right? And, um, you know, in that, in that first piece, she doesn't say that they're all the same, right? What she says is they're each given space, Right. Giving, giving everyone space is, it reminds me, we were talking about a couple of weeks back about right, equality and equity, right? So it reminds me of that conversation a little bit. Giving everyone space doesn't mean saying everybody's the same. You know, um, I, I think there is a distinction. I, I don't know what to tell you if you really want lapis lazuli, but you're stuck with an amethyst. Um, right. But, but I do think it's possible to, to sort of, 
delineate that um, a little bit, it makes me think of this idea I reference relatively often. Folks have probably heard me talk about this idea that <clears throat> Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, uh, has an essay where he talks about how we all have a place in the garden, right? That, that each one of us has a place in the world to till and to tend. And my place isn't yours and your place isn't mine, right? Um, I might look at your garden and say, oh, that looks like a nice garden. I wish that was mine, right? I wish that was my garden. But it ain't, you know? So, but I, I hear you. There, there is a... There is an inherent tension here between individual and communal space equality, right? Like I, I hear you. I think that's I think that's all in there. Um, Ina, did you have your hand up for a sec? No, maybe. Bad shot. Bad shot. How's the Colts feel out planning going over there? It's planned, thank goodness, because it's happening right now. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just uh, you. You look. You look. You look very busy. So I'm just making. I'm just making sure that everything. I'm just, I'm just. You know, doing little things here and there. But the one thing that I'll share, and you, you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, this is. Re- it's a very good, like, meditative space for me to be doing this work and be able to think about Torah. So this is great. Um, the thing that you that you mentioned. I'm so great. glad to offer you a meditative space that you're enjoying. Rabbi Schatz always loves meditation, so this is usually how she responds to that. But but I'm glad Rabbi to Rabbi Schatz offer. chose to go and get coffee for the entire staff while meditation was happening this morning to but tell you. I'm I'm, I'm glad to be able to Okay, anyway. The meditative space. Anyway, the so the you mentioned this a little bit earlier in terms of like wearing because you and I talked about this yesterday wearing the names of the of the tribes on um on the breastplate I think the thing that that really strikes me about that is just the general um the general interest of keeping something with you that it's not very nice keeping something with you that's from your past and bringing it into your future, um, but having it be part of your present, if that makes sense. So the way in which the the breastplate is being worn is such that you are able to recognize who those um, who those characters were, right? Who you, who those ancestors were for you, and and the roads that they paved for you, and also how they are making it such that you are able to move forward in the life that you are creating in the moment for what the future will hold. And I think of that every time I put on like these earrings were my great grandmother's and this ring my mom gave me when I um, became a rabbi because it was a set of earrings that my cousin now has one earring that was made into a ring and I have the other. Like anytime that I, that I wear a piece of jewelry that's what I think of. I think of where did it come from and, and what am I kind of representing by wearing it? So even though we don't walk around with the, the names, oh, some people that actually have names of like their kids on a necklace or something like, though we don't necessarily walk around with names all over ourselves. Um, the fact that it's, yeah, the fact that it's over our heart for all times is a really beautiful way of thinking about the way that we adorn ourselves in, in aspects of our past and our future. And the last thing I'll say, and then I'll get back to what, um, to, to listening, but doing what I was doing, um, is that last night we had this mishmar for this rehearsal, this like intentional space for Cult of Fila this weekend. And one of the people who came is Rabbi Micah Shapiro. And I hadn't seen Rabbi Micah Shapiro in six years. And he, he no is. Relation. One, no relation yet. He is in what, though, Dale Schatz, my father, when he first met Matt Shapiro, introduced him to the entire Pressman Academy as Rabbi Micah Shapiro. So that was very funny. But Rabbi Micah, Rabbi Micah Shapiro came into the tent and it was such a beautiful reunion because I hadn't seen him in all of these years. And it brought up a lot of memories and emotions and just thinking of things that that in my present life right now, he affected in the past. And and the the fact that from my present moment, I'm able to move forward um, really with with him as part of that. So it's not just things. I think it's also people. And um, that's why this particular verse, I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro told you, but I picked the verses, even though I'm not as present today. That's why I picked this verse, because I just think it's such a... Everybody, Rabbi Schatz picked these verses. Because <laughs> it's such like a warm, cozy feeling of a verse um, in terms of just all of this frill, but what's the meaning behind it? So that's, that's all, but it's lovely to be here with all of you.
remember that I described the verses as cozy, but that's a fascinating way of describing verses in the Torah. Um, I'll, I'll just offer up Mike. Mike put in the chat um, different sins perhaps represent that we all have different stamps from God. Um, are you intentionally referencing Mishnah Sanhedrin there, Mike? Is that is that intentional? Maybe he's not sure. Right there's the there's a fairly well known Mishnah that talks about how um, you know when humans mint coins, all the coins come out alike. Um, but when God mints coins, or God mints people from the same mold, right? We all come out a little bit different. Um, I, I am, and then I am in, uh, referencing that. Yes. Yeah, I, Mike. I learned, that, I learned that from Rabbi Ben Richards once. Mike, bring in the Mishnah. Mike, the Mishnah bringer, what they call yeah, that. But, but you clarified that. Yeah. Thankfully. Um, Thank but yes, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely, sort of metaphysical idea about each of us as individuals. And I think resonates as well with, with some of those teachings about. But it, all, but it also, it also uh, uh, brings up the same points that Rabbi Schatz is talking about, uh, you know, your past and your future. And, and, and it's always like uh, there's a connection, you know, and it's right there on the heart, you know, over the heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll use that as a, as a heart, as a heart segue, um, there's this, there's a really lovely, um, midrash that talks about, um, the dynamic between Aaron and Moses in terms of Aaron as the high priest, right? Because you would think, right? Forget, forget everything you know about the, don't forget everything you know about the Torah. That would probably make this class a little confusing, but, but you might, you might think who's going to be the high priest, the guy who's the leader of the people. That, that would seem to make sense, right? Who's the number one guy? The number one guy. But it's not. It's Aaron. Um, and so there's there's what to say about kind of that that potential relational interplay. Um, and there's a, a midrash that picks up on how um, Aaron's heart was gladdened to see Moses, right? When, when Aaron saw Moses again, his heart was gladdened to see Moses. And so Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yochai said, the same heart that rejoiced in the greatness of his brother that has the, that's the heart that has precious stones placed upon it, right? So there's there's already something holy about Aaron's heart, and and because he has that, uh, and this this again gets back to that sort of phraseology of of Chochmei Lev, right? That there has to be something special to begin with to be eligible to make these things. So sort of like how much the more so here that there is something really beautiful about Aaron's heart to be able to rejoice for his brother. And because he's able to do that, um, he's able to have this um, divine uh, divine instrument sort of being placed right on his heart. So I, I thought that that was a really lovely sort of uh, relational piece as well in terms of thinking, thinking about the two of them um, uh, as brothers. I thought that that was really nice. Um, might just put in the chat back to the humility aspect, right? He's, he's not trying to like lord it over Moses or in the other direction, getting jealous or frustrated or why not me? He's just saying, Hey man, I'm happy for you because he's able to do that. He's then uh, able to be, um, a leader, uh, in, in that way. Um, I have a, a more diff, different type of, of something to talk about. Rabbi Schatz, did, did you have anything else that you wanted to share on these verses? No, but <laughs> I appreciate being able to share what I shared earlier. <laughs> uh, okay, great. Do folks want to, can people picture this, by the way, would it be helpful to have a visual representation of this? I know some people in the room are visual learners. Um, can people picture this? Yes, no, maybe. No. No, some okay. So here, here's what I found. It's sort of it's kind of a funny. Um, it's a, it's obviously a modern version of it. Oh, I got to set the the zoom on the browser right. Um, so in, you're going to see it as cloth squares. So pretend the cloth squares are precious stones, right? So something like this, so that there would be the names of the twelve tribes on 
the 12 stones that were then like on the front of, of the priest on the breastplate. And then what would happen is, and this is why I was saying combination of, of Ouija board, uh, and, and, uh, uh, Simon is like then letters on the names would light up to give the answer. Right. So that, you know, this would be so like if you ask the question and then the Lama of Levi and the Aleph of Asher light up, you're getting the answer low. Uh, don't don't do that. Rebecca, Rebecca is is begrudgingly shaking her head. Why are you sh- Why are you shaking your head, Rebecca? That was a laugh. What? It was a laugh. And I it was, was, a- it was. Yeah, it was. I was just doing the low. You oh you oh you were doing the low. You were you were you were channeling the prophecy. I see. Um, yeah, there there's also there's also some conversation. Um, hi, Annette. Nice to see you. Um, there was some conversation about, because as I was referencing when we were moving through the verses initially, the Urim Vitumim doesn't have much in the way of, of translation organically, right? We're, give, we're given the words as if we should know what they are, but the etymology of the words is not specifically elucidated in the verses themselves. Um, and so the rabbis play with this a bit, right? What could it mean, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the, right, the, you can hear in Urim or, right, that they would like light up, right? Um, and then to meme, a lot of rabbis talk about it as, as Tom. So they would light up and then Tom like complete, right? So then you not only had the letters light up, but that you also then got a sense of sort of how to put those letters together to understand, um, what uh what the message is um this might sound a a little bit out there uh it's not as i was saying earlier it's generally not part of how we celebrate shabbat at temple betham uh is to don the urim betumim and to and to walk up to the ark and ask some questions although i don't know everything that rabbi shatz has planned for cold filah so maybe uh we have that lined up for tomorrow um right rabbi shatz um, and so, uh, it, it's, it's a bit archaic in terms of thinking about it that way. What I would say, I like what was being said earlier in terms of trying to wrap our heads around how we can think about the ways in which we get guidance and recognizing that there are tools being given to our leaders, to us in general, tools being given to our leaders through which guidance can be uh, can be attained. Um, and within that, some humility of saying, I'm being asked this question. I don't know the answer to it. I need to go to a higher authority to say, what is the answer to this question? Now, when we think about it, right, higher authority can mean a lot of different things. The most obvious one, particularly in this context, is is God, right? But, um, you know, in if you think about uh, the world of recovery and the world of recovery, the language used for God is often higher power, but for folks who have a harder time with thinking about higher power as a supernatural God, sometimes higher power can be the wisdom of the group, right? Or the guidance of people who have more sobriety, right? That higher power doesn't necessarily mean to, to doesn't necessarily need to mean channeling God um, through neon lights on a breastplate, right? Reaching out to a higher power for guidance can also just be the reminder to ask for help when you need it and to make sure that you have the structures in place to be able to ask for help. Um, I want to, I want to bring up one more piece and then Rabbi Shantz is going to wrap all of this together up in a beautiful bow because of how diligently she's been listening to everything I've said, uh, especially, uh, my correct pronunciation of the lapis lazulette. Um, uh, which is there's there's like a brief but really evocative teaching um, from the Baal Shem Tov, the, the founder of Chassidut, um, talking about these verses. So I'll just pull the verse. I'm going to resume here. Zoom. We're on Zoom, but I'll zoom in for the Zoom. So if you see here, I referenced this earlier, talking about the Mishpat um, and because. Uh, also talking about this idea of 
zikaron, right? That when we think about Aaron going forth with this, that he has the breastplate on his heart, um, he's doing it lizikaron. Well, what what's being remembered, right? You could just you don't need you don't need the whole back half of that verse. You could just say Aaron's going to take the breastplate in on his heart when he goes in to the to the holy place. To remember before God always, we, we, we don't necessarily need that verse, especially because Leifnad and I Tamid is in the second one. So what does it mean that there's this idea, excuse me, of remembering? Um, and the Baal Shem Tov riffing on this verse, it's, it's sort of a, a more complex piece. But in brief, what he talks about is how um, remembering leads to redemption and forgetting leads to exile. Again, remembering leads to redemption and forgetting leads to exile. So there's something about taking this duty on as an act of memory that brings us closer to a redemptive moment. Um, and I'll, I'll sort of break down the English word um, and connect it back to something we were saying earlier, which is the, the English word is kind of funny, right? Like to remember right? Think like to bring something back, right? If you haven't been, right, if you've been dismembered, I hopefully no one here has been dismembered recently, but if you've been dismembered, then you are remembered, right? To dismember means to be, be torn apart. To remember means to then bring back together again, right? We think about it in terms of memory, right? The stories, the, the recollections that we have. But I think you can also think about it as a, as a bringing back together. And I think that that dovetails really, really nicely with some of the ideas that I was offering up at the beginning, thinking about the humility and making sure that there's space for everyone. So if we're thinking about this idea of the importance of remembering, the importance of holding on to that, part of that is making sure that everybody's a part of that. And that's part of what redemption is, right? Bringing everybody together, making sure there's space for everyone, not necessarily the same space, Rebecca, right? Like there are going to be distinctions and differences, but making sure that there is that level of inclusion and wholeness that all the tribes are involved, that everyone is being brought in, um, in order for, for that to be able to happen. And I think that that's a really lovely idea, right? I think in general, as Jews, we talk about the role of memory and how we need to remember our story and remember our rituals and remember how, right? All of that. Shabbat is about memory. All those things are about memory. Um, that's true. That's really important. And taking that even one step a little more abstract um, and a little more personal, right? Thinking about the ways in which, like Rabbi Shach was saying earlier, that seeing someone and bringing them in, like back in, Right is a is a meaningful way of thinking about um, and then like carrying that person with you. Right? How do you, how do you carry the people with you that you want to hold, even and especially when you've been apart from them for a while? Um, I think that that's unfortunately something that a lot of us have been navigating um, these past two years. Um, Tybal has her hand up, and then maybe Rabbi Schatz will tie a beautiful bow. Maybe she'll use the Zoom filter like I usually do. No. Um, so something you said, and I don't know why it reminded me of this, but this is the question. And maybe because I teach genealogy, I think of things a certain way. So I see the tribe names and I don't just think of the tribes. I think of the father, grandfather, great grandfather. Do you happen to know? when the rabbis were structuring the blessings of the Amidah and decided on the important ancestor blessing, if this was a text about remembering, influence them? Because to me, I don't know, that's where I went based on something you said, and then it made me wonder about the Amidah structure and that particular blessing. Um, That's a really interesting question. I don't think so, meaning the, the brachot of the Amidah were set pretty early on in the rabbinic period, um, and the Baal Shem Tov is much later after that, by about 1,500 years, and, and he's sort of like interpolating that idea of memory into this verse, and I'm then reinterpolating that that back, right, into this idea of 
um, bringing everyone in and make sure everyone's included. Um, and to your, to your point, um, I think it does still loop back into this idea of the role that um, memory holds within our tradition um, in terms of thinking of those who have come before us. And then one, like asking the question, how do I carry that memory forth? And we can think about it that abstractly in our ancestors. We can also think about that more concretely in terms of the people that we care about and in, in our in our personal lives and how we carry them forward and how they can um, be the reminders for us about how to um, ask for help when we need it and reach out for guidance when necessary to be reminded that we can be anchored in those relationships um, because sometimes we forget that. That's really, really important. So um, I would say not necessarily, but we can still connect it, I think. Um, I don't necessarily have a bow to wrap all of that up. Um, I will I will pitch four rabbi shots. Cult filas this weekend, I think. I think cult filas already happening. You can tell by the by the speaker in the parking lot blaring music um, that cult fila is in progress. Right, rabbi shots. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so that's very exciting. Come one, come all, zoom one, zoom all. Uh, it will be a groovy weekend, as the rabbis say. Um, I think by way of, uh, bow on the content, I'll just say that, um, I always really enjoy reading these verses. I think this is the deepest dive I've done into them, uh, to this point. And I, I was really touched in thinking about that dynamic between the individual and the communal, between the role that we as, as individuals hold and the way in which we need to balance um, our role as, as just one person within the larger construct of including everyone in our community about making sure that there is space for everyone. Um, and ooh, I have a cold filabo for that. It is wonderful to be in a place where we are not just our community this weekend, but able to make space for others as they come to join us because we are all enhanced and grow by making sure that there is space for our larger community. Isn't that a nice cold filabo, Rabbi Schatz? That was really nice. That's a really nice cold filabo. I'm very, I'm very pleased with myself. <laughs> so, so on that wonderful note, Shabbat Shalom to not just one but all uh, and hope to see folks over Shabbat uh, in person or digitally and what, whether or not over the Shabbat, we will see you soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.